It's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. So today on the podcast, we are looking at a story about Jesus, a familiar one, the feeding of the 5,000, and this one is called A Little Bit with Jesus. Also, just want to thank everybody who has been working on our fundraising event for North Shore Enduring Hope, which happens this week on October 18th, 7 to 9 p.m. You can get tickets by going to our website or our Facebook page. Even if you're not going to show up, you can make a donation and uh, every bit of the proceeds will go to North Shore Enduring Hope, who is doing a fantastic work with foster care kids in our community. But for now, let's head to the talk, North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. How many of y'all went to Sunday school when you were kids? Okay, this is going to be practically a Sunday school lesson, but um, uh, because you've you've probably heard this in Sunday school, but uh, and as a Sunday school lesson, it, we might be able to be out of here by noon or, or twelve thirty at the very latest. Just kidding. <laughs> we're going to lock the doors and we're going to pass the offering basket around again at about eleven fifty. <laughs> That's how you do it. Um, if you don't know this, there's a lot of stories. There, there's four Gospels, and each of the Gospels kind of capture a different view of what Jesus did. And there's very few stories or parables outside of the narratives of the, the cross and the resurrection that pop up in all four Gospels. But this is one of those stories. And today I'm going to read the version that comes out of the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Uh, and it starts off like this. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover festival... Now the Passover... The festival of the Jews was near. When he looked up, he saw a large crowd coming to him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves, And from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. When the people saw the sign that he'd done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. 
So a few weeks ago, I wrapped up a series on the Lord's Prayer, and I mentioned that there is, you know, the first half of the Lord's Prayer makes perfect sense to me, um, but when I get to the the latter parts of the Lord's Prayer, I find that I have to do a few things in my mind to, to make them work, like give us this day our daily bread. With all this stuff about gluten and stuff, you know, we're, we're having to change that up. Just kidding. And, and Adkins and all that uh, low-carb diets. Don't give me daily bread, Lord. Uh, no. Give us this day our daily bread. I've prayed that prayer as we prayed this morning during worship. I've prayed it thousands of times during my life, but I've never prayed it in a time in my life where I've actually been afraid that I wasn't going to have something to eat. I know there's, there may be people in here who have prayed at that. You've gone through a time where you didn't know if you were going to have food on the table. But as I said a few weeks ago, David Bentley Hart, who is one of the uh, premier scholars and theologians within the Eastern Orthodox Church, he made a point, of, he actually came out with a translation of the Bible last year, he translated himself, and he said, probably the best way to understand the Lord's Prayer, particularly the later parts of the Lord's Prayer, is very literally, if we want to get how it meant to the original audience. The original audience that heard the Sermon on the Mount, which contains the Lord's Prayer, were poor rural people living on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. These were people who really struggled to, to know if they were actually going to have food on their table. And because of that, the next lines make a little bit more sense too. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. Because if you're poor and you're struggling to put food on the table, you're likely to go into debt. Which makes the next line make more sense. Keep us from the trial. This wasn't a trial from God, you know, because God doesn't test people, as James, the brother of Jesus, would say in his epistle. This is an actual trial. Keep us from the trial where the, the person that we're indebted to is going to, uh, you know, put us on trial to get his money or, or get something else. You know, nowadays, if you go into debt, it's not the end of the world in America. I mean, everybody's in debt in America. All right, <laughs> the land of the folks who are in debt. <laughs> well, you go into a, you can get you can seriously mess up your life in debt in this country, and it'll affect your credit score. Or you can file for Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. I've, I know plenty of people who've had to let their houses go into floor, foreclosure, and it wasn't the end of their life. I mean, even Dave Ramsey, who does the whole financial piece, he lost everything before he got some wisdom about finances. That's the kind of world we live in. But back then, if you got in debt to a debtor, you, you could go to jail for a long time, or you could even go into slavery. So what Jesus is getting at in that prayer, for the original audience, this was actually very helpful. And that's why Jesus goes on after the Sermon on the Mount to say, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. Seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and you will find that your own needs are taken care of in the process. You'll find that when you seek after God's best and becoming the very person that God wants you to be, you will find that God's provision is right there even when it don't make any sense. And when we look at this story, is not that a picture of Jesus fulfilling this prayer? These folks, if you read Matthew's account of this story, Matthew says that Jesus is exhausted and he just wants to get away to, you know, 
go contemplate God, be out in nature and talk to God a bit. So he's just trying to get to a deserted place, not because it's a great place to have a revival meeting, but it's a great place to get away. But these people who keep hearing about him as a rabbi and a teacher and a healer and a prophet, man, they're, they're coming out there by the thousands. It looks like a small music festival going on out in the desert. And now, now it's getting late in the day. They don't have anything to eat. When I read this story, I'm also reminded of another time when Jesus went out into the wilderness to be with God. Before Jesus ever launched into ministry, the the Gospel of Matthew says that he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted, tested. This is very symbolic of the 40 years the, the Israelites spent in the desert. And Jesus, the perfect Israelite, goes out there to be faithful. And at the end of that time, Satan comes to him and tempts him. Jesus, man, you're looking hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? I mean, you are the son of God. Satan wasn't even tempting him with a sin. It's not a sin to eat bread. But Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was actually quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God tells the Israelites as they're getting ready to go into Egypt, he says, the whole reason I kept you wandering in the desert for 40 years, for those of you who haven't looked at a map of where Israel is and where Egypt is, it doesn't take you 40 years to get there. Even with a million people walking slowly, you can make it there in a few weeks. (laughs) God says, the reason that I did this all those years and I humbled you and I fed you with manna, this bread-like substance that would appear miraculously on the ground every day and they could collect as much as they want. The whole reason I did that, God said, was to show you that you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, God's saying there's something much more fundamentally important for your life than bread or clothes or the material things that that we value so highly there's something much more at a fundamental level that if you don't get this part right the rest of that stuff ain't going to matter and that is your conscious connection to being in relationship with God that's the thing coming into harmony with the ground of all being and goodness itself and living faithful to that And so when we see these people out in the wilderness that are hungry, we see God providing for them. We see the word of God, who is Jesus, providing the bread and the fish that they can eat. And what a beautiful picture. As they have sought first the kingdom of God, God has provided for their needs miraculously. But... I want to close today with the Sunday school lesson part. (laughs) I've given you the theological points. But what I like in this story is how God does this miracle, how Jesus actually performs this miracle. In, In other accounts in the gospel, Jesus says, okay, guys, give them something to eat. And they're like, we ain't got anything. And, and, and here in the Gospel of John, Jesus is saying, uh, why don't y'all find something for these people to eat? And, and they're like, dude, six months of wages ain't going to buy enough food to feed these thousands of people out here. But there's this little boy over here who's got a sack lunch. And Jesus says, all right, we're in business. We're in business. 
That, that sounds like the kind of thing a child would do, right? Well, I'll help. I got a sack lunch. Well, what about all these 5,000 people? The, the kid ain't going to look at all that. How many times do we look at the needs in our world and we just get overwhelmed and we do nothing? How many times do we look? I mean, I think we're so overwhelmed right now with the suffering and the violence and stuff in the world. Like, I, I just, I, I stopped watching the news on TV years ago, and I still get way more news than I want to even know, you know? I mean, like, just trying not to watch news, I get more news than I can even handle. And I don't think the human brain, you know, you look at the, just in human history, most of what you would know in your life would be just the people in your town. And now we are exposed to suffering and issues and war and violence all over the world. 99.999% of it we can do absolutely zero to do other than feel bad and get numb. And I think the, the, the overwhelming assault of bad news on our symptoms, sometimes we just get overwhelmed. We feel this simmering anxiety about how bad things are and then we do nothing because what do I have? What do I actually have that can do any good? My, my gifts, my resources are just a drop in the bucket, a drop in the ocean compared to the needs. But I love this little boy in this story. We don't even hear his name. That's, that's unfair. This little boy is kind of the hero of the story. The disciples, man, they, they, ain't, even, they ain't even got a sack lunch. But this, this little boy has a sack lunch. And Jesus says, we can work with that. And Jesus takes the, this little bit, this little bit, this insignificant amount that, that would feed maybe a couple of people if you divided it up. And people would still be hungry after that. Jesus takes this little bit and he offers it. Now, I got to tell you, we're doing this benefit here for North Shore and doing Enduring Hope in, in a couple of weeks. And this is our loaves and fishes, folks. This is our loaves and fishes. There are churches on the North Shore that bring in millions of dollars and they have all kinds of slick programs and production and all that stuff. That's great. We don't. <laughs> we got a building, though. We got some musicians. We got some people who are willing to step up. I can't tell you. Uh, I haven't really been doing a ton on this thing, other, you know, other than putting a little video together and you know, getting some musicians together. But you know, when I see how hard Melissa and Christy and, and, and Judy and Shane have been working for months now, you don't realize what these guys are doing. I mean, calling people to donate stuff and, and coordinating. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, initially we were thinking, yeah, we'll do a little barbecue. Now it's turned into like a gala and stuff, you know. <laughs> Is it gala or gala? Potato, potato. Um, but that's our loaves and fishes. We can't, you know, I would love to be able to say, you, you know, we want to bless your ministry with $50,000. We can't do that. We can offer the little bit that we have, though. And a little bit with Jesus is worth, an a, whole, worth a, a whole lot more than, than a whole lot without. See, when I look at this story, it reminds me of how many times in my own journey someone's just done something just very small for me. Now, I've been in ministry now 
I don't know, 25 years and, and, and pastoring, you know, as the senior pastor for 10 years. And I'll let you in on a secret. Sometimes people tell you mean things as a pastor. Sometimes they don't like what you're saying. And sometimes they don't even tell it to your face. Sometimes you hear about it in a rather circuitous form. You know, I remember even, I've shared this before, when I came on staff at the Kenner Vineyard as the worship leader, I was like, man, I'm going to be leading worship at this church. And I got up there, I started leading worship, and I got hate mail that wasn't signed because I was different than, than Phil, who had been leading there, you know, the pastor. And I, we don't like the way you're doing this. And I'm like, I come into Phil one day, I'm like, man, I got all this, like, people hate what I'm doing here. I'm just getting started. <laughs> and Phil says, if, if it don't have a name on it, don't even open it. Don't even open it. But you know what Phil told me? He says, when you get one that's encouraging, hold on to that one and revisit it. That's, that's, that is. That's the loaves and fishes, folks. I got to tell you, there's times in my life where I've, I've been going through it and somebody calls me up or somebody just sends me an encouraging email, you know, just, hey, man, I've just been thinking about you and I don't know what's going on, but I just want to say, you know, thank you or whatever, you know, whatever they want to tell me. And I've gotten in the habit over the years, I don't do this all the time, but, you know, when you come across a, a, somebody on Facebook that's, that's going through a really difficult thing, it's, it's easy to just say, oh, thoughts and prayers, you know, and then actually not think or pray. <laughs> come on. Oh, don't go there. Getting uncomfortable up in here. It's easy to just say, oh, praying for you, brother. I hope, I hope things go well. And you genuinely do hope, but, but you just, you know, you just go on to the next thing. Cat videos. <laughs> but I, I've, I've found, and I try to do this a good bit. If I see a prayer request to maybe stop what I'm doing for five minutes and actually send a prayer, like actually write down a prayer on a text or an email and invite the Holy Spirit to just guide me. And Lord, Lord what, what, what should I pray for this person? Don't take much. That's a little bit more meaningful than, than thoughts and prayers. You know, you may not be, you may, you may look at me getting up here on stage and you go, oh, that would terrify me. I'm not gifted. I can't talk in front of people. Or I can't play music. Or I can't do this or that. I'm not very good. But we all have something to give. I don't care what you, we all have some loaves and fishes in our lives. We all have a little bit of something that we can give to the world around us. You know, I left us, there's another story in here from Mark chapter 12. Uh, Jesus it says, as, as he taught, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance, and for the sake of appearance, they say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and he watched a crowd putting money on, into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which, copper coins, which are worth a penny. 
Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. God sees. God sees. The little bit that you do. And you don't have to do a lot. And for some people, the little bit is a lot. But a little bit with Jesus is a lot more than a lot without. So I want to just close by saying this. You know, I, I love the, the line from Mother Teresa. Not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. And really, that's what we're supposed to shoot for, folks. And I encourage you this week, today, think about, I'm sure every one of us in here can think of one or two people who just need some encouragement. Everybody think of one or two people? Well, this week, make it a point to give somebody a phone call. To write them a letter, go have coffee or beer, whatever you want to do. Just, just spend some time, <laughs> a beer definitely. <laughs> whatever it is, you know, I've got, there's a, one, of my, one of my good friends, years ago, he went into a very dark time, had a breakdown and went into severe depression for a few years. And this was a dear friend of mine, going back many years. We would talk on the phone at least once a month. Uh, we'd, we'd go visit them in another state, you know, once or twice a year. They'd just been such great friends. And, and I remember after this friend of mine had this breakdown, like, I went to see him, and I was scared to death, man. Like, we, <laughs> he didn't, he hardly ever talked. It's like his personality changed. And I'm like, man, what happened to my, my good friend? And I remember coming back just feeling really worried for him. And I, I would call him every month. I would text him every month. And most of the time, I'd never get a call back. And even when I did, it would just be a very short conversation because he was so stuck in his head. He was just in a dark, dark place. And this went on for a couple of years. And I, I even told his son one day, I was like, man, I, I don't know what's going on with your dad, man. It's like, I, I'm, I'm trying to call him. He don't call me back. He said, don't stop. Don't stop. And, you know, when he finally, after four or five years of just suffering with debilitating depression, he finally was able to start coming out of it. And he told me, thank you. Thank you that you kept calling. Even when I didn't call back. Thanks for the text messages. Even when I was so trapped in my head, I couldn't call you back. I was so stuck in this dark place, I couldn't say anything. He said, most of the people I knew stopped. They gave up. They felt rejected. And frankly, I felt rejected. I mean, this guy was a friend of mine. Like, dude, what's up, man? I thought. But he said, you don't know what that meant, that you kept doing that. We all have something small we can do today. And so my encouragement for you and me both is to start with the little bit that you have. If we all just did a couple of small great, a couple of small things with great love this week, 
that would be awesome. And I think when I look at this church, that's what I love the most about this church. When I look at the amount of stuff that we've done this year, we could just do a service just on the outreaches that we've done this year, from raising a couple of tons of food for the food bank to school supplies for Pineview, Pineview Middle, School, Middle School to um, sending a, a team to an orphanage in Mexico to all these different things that we've been doing, North Shore Enduring Hope. We're a church, we ain't got anything. And yet, the little bit we have is transforming this community. It is bringing change in the world. And my hope is that we can be open to the Spirit's movement in our lives, open to what God is saying, that we wouldn't be so overwhelmed by the needs that we can't just take a little step with the little bit that we have. So let that, that be our prayer this week. Why don't you stand?